Well, this is the Christmas season, and we're taking this month of December to reflect on Christmas. And what we'd like to do this month is look at Christmas from the different perspectives of some of the key players. Last time we started with Mary, we often think of Mary uh, at Christmas and sing songs of, um, you know, Mary, Mary did you know is one of the ones, and so many others. One of the characters that, that's often neglected is uh, Joseph. Poor Joseph. You know, we think of the wise men, we think of the shepherds, we even think of Herod, we think of Mary, and often Joseph we just kind of skip over. So today, I'm standing up for Joseph. We're going to open the scriptures and look at a key character who so often uh, the quiet ones are overlooked and yet have so much to say in their quietness. Uh, if, you, if you look at your bulletin, uh, there's an outline of the message in there and um, there's enough to terrify you when you see it's Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2. Um, you know, you're thinking, I know I should have had a bigger breakfast and had that second cup of coffee. It, well, well, you'll notice that the outline that follows, we're going to take some sections and I won't do justice. Each of these points could easily be a full sermon, but, but I'd like to give a kind of a, an overflow, o- overview of Joseph. Uh, in the Christmas narrative. I guess I'll say it now in case I forget to say it later. We see Joseph in these early chapters. We'll see him later when Jesus at the age of 12 is there for the Passover in Jerusalem. But when we come to the, the adult ministry of our Lord, Joseph is absent. There's no mention of him. And so the assumption has been throughout history that Joseph sometime between the age of 12 and Jesus at the age of 30-ish, Joseph has died. You see that, for example, on the cross when when Jesus is dying, he turns the care of his mother over to his disciple John. In other words, uh, Joseph's not there to care for her. So we're not exactly sure how uh, and when, but Joseph will not be there for the ministry of Jesus. But he is here at, at, at Christmas uh, in, the, in the birth and conception of Jesus. So let's look at that. The first text I'd like to consider with you is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take your, to you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Our passage begins in, in, 
in chapter 1 with uh, if we went all the way back and that would be the way to do it the book of the New Testament begins with Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham now our text will call Joseph son of David but if you go back to chapter 1 verse 1 that's really the theme where we begin the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham this uh, verse, by the way, is often a surprise to the, to the Jewish reader that decides that maybe he'll pick up a New Testament and see what this is all about. I've heard again and again those that say, as a Jew, picking up the te- New Testament, they were expecting to find a, a book on, on how to uh, persecute or, or how Christians persecuted the Jews and, and Jewish, uh, Christian animosity against Jews and things like that. Instead, they pick up a book and the first verse makes it clear this is a Jewish book. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then they read through all those names that they might recognize from their Old Testament readings. What Matthew wants us to know is that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And he begins by saying, if you're going to be king, then you have to have the, a relationship to the king. You have to be of the royal lineage. And so the genealogy shows that Jesus is a son of David who is a son of Judah, the royal tribe, who is a son of Abraham, the promised family. It's after that genealogy that's traced through that we come to where we are today. Matthew starts right off with the birth of Christ. It's interesting to look at the different Gospels and see where they begin. Matthew and Luke start off with with the birth of Christ. Uh, John takes us before the birth of Christ back into eternity. And Mark begins right with the beginning of ministry. But Matthew starts with the birth. And it says, as Jesus was, the birth was as follows. His mother was betrothed to Joseph before they came together. And she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting expression. She was, she was found with child with the Holy Spirit. We're told that Joseph and Mary were betrothed. And again, that's a, we, we don't use that term much today. Uh, but in, we think of engagement. If someone's going to get married, they become engaged. They agree that they're going to marry. Often they'll set a date at that time. Sometimes engagements uh, don't follow through. That's kind of a time of, of rethinking and, and reevaluating. And sometimes engagements don't happen. I remember in seminary, I would sometimes see on the, uh, the little bulletin board, um, engagement ring, only worn two weeks, cheap (laughs) and I would leave notes like that and think there's a story there Um, but but betrothal was different it was actually a binding commitment and actually you needed if you were going to break a betrothal that required a legal divorce so she was betrothed and and legally was considered in in in, on all except for for coming together to they're they're considered to be married but we're found, we say that Mary was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't say Mary came to Joseph and, and said, Joseph, I need to tell you something. But rather she was found. Now, not that she was being, hiding it, but in other words, this suggests that by now she's showing. And people are starting to notice. And that means people are starting to talk. Because she is not 
married to, to Joseph yet, and here she is showing with child. Again, just to think about what's happened. Remember, she went down to visit Elizabeth, who was with child, and Elizabeth was in her sixth month. Uh, and, and apparently Mary stayed either up to or maybe through the birth of John the Baptist. So by the time she gets back to Nazareth, she's at least three months along, and um, apparently she's showing. And so the word starts circulating, and Joseph hears that his beloved betrothed one is showing. Verse 19 tells us Joseph, her husband, again, legally husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. We're told he was a just man. And since the Bible says that of him, that means he was, he was justified. He was a believer and a godly man. And that's what made him feel like he should consider divorce. Why? Well, his assumption is, well, of course, Mary's been unfaithful to him and to the Lord. And, and so he's not going to, you know, unite with that. And so that's why he's thinking as a, as a just man, then he needs to go separate ways from Mary. But we also see him as a godly man to be a man of compassion. He doesn't want to lash out with revenge and bitterness. He instead seeks to just quietly end the betrothal. He had a heart of compassion. In verse 20 and 21 tell us, while he thought about these things, and so you gather he must have been wrestling. And again, we're not told much. You know, Luke will tell us that what Mary, when the shepherds came, Mary pondered all these things in her heart. So, so Luke can give us some thoughts. Apparently Luke tells us, as he opened his gospel, that he, he asked people, he researched, he interviewed. And I think it's clear to me that Luke must have had opportunity to interview Mary. And so he said, well, what did you think when those shepherds came? Well, I, I, just, I just had to think about it. <laughs> it was so much to think about. He didn't get a chance to ask uh, Joseph. So what did you think? What was going on in your heart? We're not told, but we're told from Scripture. He thought about these things. It wasn't an easy decision. He had been lovingly looking forward to marriage to Mary. And he was grieved at her apparent unfaithfulness. And so as he thought these things through, he thought that I, I, I just need to do this quietly and move on. So as he was wrestling these things, he one night went to sleep and an angel appears to him. And says, um, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take this, your, marry your wife, for that which is conceived to her is of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing unholy here at all. And she'll bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I like to think that while Joseph is thinking, I've got to you know, divorce Mary, and, and, and the, the angel says, oh, no, you don't. God has a plan for this woman, and you're in it. Do, you do not be afraid, but don't be afraid to marry her. Don't worry about uh, something being untoward. This is, this is of the Holy Spirit. This is holy. This is good. This is godly. I think it's interesting, by the way, 
as we track through, we'll see that four different times an angel will speak to Joseph. Or three times, and then we're told God spoke. All of them in a dream. And this is one of those things you wonder if Joseph ever kind of talked over with Mary. Zechariah's got to see an angel. The shepherds got to see angels. Mary, you got to talk with Gabriel, the angel. All I get is a dream. I don't know if they had those conversations. I might have asked that. But he had four of these appearances. And, and here, and here the, the angel comes in a dream. And he's told, don't be afraid to take her. Don't be afraid you dishonor the Lord by marrying an unfaithful woman. No, no. This is of the Lord. And the angel confirms Mary's claim. This is of the Holy Spirit. And he tells him, this is, this is the son of promise. By the way, this is the only time he's called the son of God in the, in the, in the New Testament. Every time else, it's, it's Jesus that's called that. And we're told the, the child's going to be a son and his name is going to be Jesus. We're so familiar with that name. Um, there's two different ways that it would have been in Hebrew. Typically, uh, especially in the Messianic Jewish community, Jesus is referred to in Hebrew as Yeshua. And that's just the Hebrew word for salvation. The word Yeshua or Jesus is also used to translate the name Joshua. And that means the Lord, Yahweh, is salvation. So either his name is salvation or the Lord is salvation. But that's the point here. He's the savior of promise. He's the Lord of salvation. Not a savior like Moses or Joshua, but a savior from a greater oppression. He'll say he will save his people from their sin. They were looking for a savior from Rome. And he's saying he's going to, do, uh, he, he's going to save you from a greater oppressor, sin. Verses 22 and 23. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Quoting Isaiah 7, 14. Again, uh, Handel's Messiah sings that nicely for us. This child that Mary is carrying, you could say his name is the Lord is salvation and he is God himself, God with us. Verse 24 and 25 say, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. We're not sure how far this is after Mary is uh, seen to, to be showing. Was it right after she came back and this was very quickly or was it a month? Or, but, but here he, the angel comes in a dream, speaks to him. And notice something about Joseph. As soon as he wakes up after this night of sleep and this dream, he gets busy about marrying Mary. He wastes no time to do what the Lord tells him to do. And that shows his character and his faith. We've said it again and again. Obedience is only obedience if it's immediate and complete. And so Joseph is told, take Mary to be your wife. 
And so he marries her right away. I mean, he gets up and he's, you know, I'm, it might have taken a couple of days to put it together. Um, but, but, he said, but he goes about the business of marrying her. This would do a lot. It would spare Mary some of the gossip and accusation. It would make her child his, his child legally. So by marrying her, he is adopting Joseph as his own. And, and he becomes the legal heir of, Jesus, of Joseph's line to King David. So as we look at this, again, Joseph's often overlooked, but he was a vital part of the Christmas story. He was a man of great faith and character. There's so little. I mean, we, where do we know that? We just, in these events, we, we, we see him acting quietly, but with strength. And the strength of faith is a strength that obeys the Lord unquestioningly. And so we see he's a man of strong character and faith. He was a humble man, and a, but, and a man of mercy and compassion. Even when he could have made a scene, even when he could have publicly humiliated Mary, that was never in his thinking. He was always thinking about how can I as kindly as possible uh, go forward. He was a man of, of compassion, a man of humility. He loved Mary and Jesus. Uh, we're told as we look on later that Joseph, you know, Jesus was raised and trained as a carpenter. He trained Jesus in his trade. And this is one of the, 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 the struggles of understanding what is God like, what, what, is, what is a person like when he is both God and man. In his deity, he knows all things. You know, he could have turned to his father there in the, uh, in the workshop and said, one day there's going to be a thing called electricity. Dad, you won't believe what it's going to do to your work, to the workmen of the future. But, but that, but it, he had to be, think about it, he had to be taught the alphabet, the one who spoke the word. He had to be trained as a carpenter. And so Joseph did the faithful duties of a father. He guided Joseph. He taught Joseph. He protected Joseph. He trained Joseph. He nurtured Joseph in the Lord. So Joseph is a model for us of a humble, faithful living to the glory of God. Well, let's move on. Now let's look at Joseph in Bethlehem. And now we, this is in Luke chapter 2, 1 to 16. I won't read all the verses, so I'll try and skip a little bit. There's a lot to be seen there. Uh, let's start at verses uh, 1 to 5. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And I'll skip a couple of verses. Verse 4, Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea and to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife. Now, in these verses, I see quite a contrast. They begin in Rome what would be considered back then the capital of the world. In, in the palace of the Caesar. And they end in Bethlehem. I don't imagine the, the Romans map of the world even showed Bethlehem. It's this little podunk town. We went from a place of, of, of splendor to squalor. This, they're in a place of animal, an animal shelter. 
begins with the king making a decree that causes the world, sets the world in motion. But in doing so, he's fulfilling a greater decree when God the Father decreed the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Right now, the Messiah yet to be born is in Nazareth. So how do I make that happen? He could have just said to Joseph, take, take Mary and head to Bethlehem. But instead, he moved the heart of the king in Rome to declare a decree that, that moved all of the Roman Empire to get Mary and Joseph to move about 75 to 100 miles south. How powerful is, is the story of Christmas? And so, though Bethlehem was a, a, a humble, small town, it's also called the city of David because this is where David was born and raised. And so it's associated with the royal family. And so ultimately, the son of David is born there as well. Again, what is Joseph doing? He's basically just following orders. God told him to marry Mary, and so he did. Caesar told him to go to Bethlehem, and so he did. Again, little did he know, or Caesar, that it was fulfilling the divine decree, Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So even when Micah is writing 700 years before Christ, Bethlehem was a small town with a great future at that time. Verses 6 and 7, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. How simply the birth of the Messiah is described. She brought forth her firstborn son. That's physician Luke. Basically saying, healthy delivery. Let's move on. Uh, what an, you know, how much he could have said, but how little he does. But what makes this unusual is the humble setting. So when the shepherds, he says, how will you know you found the Messiah? He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. Well, every baby was. That was just standard baby attire. But he'll be lying in a feeding trough. That was not standard. When you go into this little town, you're going to find that baby in a feeding trough. That's the Messiah. And again, those two shouldn't go together. The Lord of glory the king of Israel in a feeding trough. What a picture of like Philippians 2 and the humility of the incarnation. Again, we're told that there were, there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night uh, and the angel appears to them. And we're told they came in haste and found Mary and Joseph and baby lying in a manger, verse 16. The shepherd told them who the child was. There's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be your sign, lying in a manger. But this baby that we're telling you about, he is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Again, these are Jewish shepherds in a Jewish country surrounding a Jewish village. They're expecting the Jewish Messiah. And so when the angels come and tell them this, 
they must have been, they were thrilled and stunned. Now, if, if another shepherd just came up and said, oh, by the way, the Messiah was just born in Jerusalem or Bethlehem, they probably wouldn't have thought much of it. But when heaven breaks out in, in the uh, angelic chorus, they think, it's, this must be it. Let's go find what God has told us. And I like that, what the Lord has made known to us. It was the angels, but they're saying, this is of the Lord. And so they came, they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Uh, again, we always focus on the child in the manger, as they did. Our thoughts turn to Mary. What is she thinking about all this? But right along Mary is Joseph. And what was he thinking? We're not told. Luke didn't get to ask him. But he was there observing pondering what he and Mary had been told. And so again, you know, uh, it would be easy to get caught up and say, well, I, I talked, Mary talked to an angel. I had an angelic visitation. We, we know about these angels. But instead, I think they just take it all in and see it's all about the Lord and what he's doing. Well, now let's move up to Jerusalem. In uh, chapter 2, verses 22 to 33, we see the days of her uh, purification. We see uh, Joseph and Mary and Jesus heading up to Jerusalem. When the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So they were in Jerusalem um, in fulfillment of the scriptures. According to biblical law, um, after the birth of a child, a woman was to offer, after a period of purification, she was to offer a sacrifice. Uh, and that could only be done in Jerusalem. And so they went up to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice of purification. We're told it was a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Or, and that's quoting from the Old Testament. And that tells us that was actually the, that was the, the poor man's sacrifice. Normally you'd offer a lamb. But if you couldn't afford a lamb you had to at least offer two, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which cost nothing, basically. In other words, so even the poor person could still come and bring an offering to the Lord. So this tells us about Joseph and Mary. She came from a poor family. He came from a poor family. They came from a poor village of Nazareth. We said archaeology today tells us maybe 200 people lived in Nazareth. They were, they, were, they, did, they were not a wealthy family at all. They were poor. It tells us something else. The Magi haven't come yet. Because the gifts of the Magi are wealth. Myrrh and frankincense were expensive spices. Now, I know some of you fellows are out there. You know, you're, you're, you're going down to Neiman Marcus and say, I, I want your most expensive perfume. I want to buy a quart. But, and if you do, then you have to go to the call your loan bank and get a loan. It was, back then, spices too were imported from other countries and expensive. And not only that, gold. 
So if they had received these treasures, they could not go to Jerusalem and rightly say, we'll take the poor man's offering. And so that tells us this visit, and when would this happen? She had, when you had a, a male child, then you had to wait 40 days before the sacrifice. So it's at least a month, 40 days or more. They're up in Jerusalem. The Magi haven't shown up yet. So again, uh, if you got the manger scene, you don't have the, the shepherds and the Magi in the same scene because they're at least a month apart. So they're up there and doing that. By the way, while they're there, they had to make another offering. For the firstborn child, you had to, firstborn male, you had to offer five shekels, a monetary gift. And what's that for? That goes all the way back to Passover. Remember when God killed the Egyptian firstborn? But everyone who, who, who went into their home and covered the, the doorposts and lintels with blood, that blood caused God to pass over them and they were spared the wrath because they were trusting in God's provision in the blood. But their firstborn was spared. And so God said, from now on in every generation, the firstborn is mine. So the firstborn male in the flock was sacrificed to the Lord. Firstborn child, male, was redeemed with money. And so here's an interesting thing. They were in the temple redeeming the Redeemer for five shekels. While they were in Jerusalem, they had a wonderful encounter with Simeon, the prophet, which reminds me of a theme that I often see in Scripture. So often, great blessing is found when we're on the path of obedience. Classic story of that is how is it Ruth and Boaz met? They were on the road of obedience and had that encounter. And so here, how did they meet Simeon? They were doing God's will. They were there worshiping in obedience to God's word. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, so he was a godly believer just like Joseph, waiting for the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Isn't that incredible? God told him, Simeon, you are immortal until you see with your own eyes the Messiah. How he must have looked around constantly. I bet he didn't walk through the street without wondering. This guy looks like a Messiah. That guy looks like a Messiah. Then this time, apparently, the Holy Spirit came upon him and said, get to the temple. You get to see the Messiah today. What do you think he was looking for? Remember when, when Samuel came looking for a king and Jesse's family? Oh, that guy looks like a king. Strong, tall. No, that's not the king. I imagine he was scanning as he went into the temple. Every strong-looking fellow he could see and said, this is going to be the king. This is the Messiah. And then when he saw this, this little couple dressed in the clothes of poverty, humbly, quietly, no one's even paying attention, and God says, look in her arms. There he is. I don't think Simeon argued with the Lord. He trusted him and he went and grabbed him. He went and grabbed him. He came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God. That must have been a little surprising for Mary when this man, probably older, comes and takes the child right out of her arms. 
and he starts announcing a prophecy. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. What a scene that must have been. We're told Joseph and his mother marveled. Joseph and his mother, that's Mary, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. So they're just listening and just stunned. Here here is this total stranger coming and prophesying over Jesus. In one sense, this was old news. Think Think of all the confirmation they're getting. The angelic revelation to Mary, the prophecies of Elizabeth and Zechariah, that, you know, that were told to Mary. The dream uh, that Joseph had. The, the angelic announcement by the shepherds. And now here comes a prophet and says, God's told me this is the Messiah. I, I wouldn't die till I saw, I have now seen the Messiah. God keeps his promises. How they must have been stunned again. Oh Lord, what will it be to raise this your Messiah child? And then we'll skip over to Matthew. Before we do, I'll, just, I'll go ahead and confuse you if I can. Verse 39 of Luke 2 says, So when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. Now, when we come back to Bethlehem, we're going to come upon the wise men. Remember, the wise men have not come yet. Right? Because they offered a poverty offering. Luke says, so they went home to Nazareth. Matthew says, when they came, remember, where did the wise men, where did, where did Herod send them? To Bethlehem. So what's going on? One possibility that we can understand is when Herod says, you know, they, they said, we've come to see the king. They went to the capital, Jerusalem. Uh, Herod contacted his Bible scholars and said, where is Messiah to be born? That's huge. Herod believed the Messiah was born. The, his, his, his scholars tell him, that's Micah tells us, Bethlehem. So he sent them to Bethlehem. But remember, as they went, the star directed them to Jesus. Did he direct them to Bethlehem? Was Jesus there? That's, one, that's an easy way of reading Matthew. If that's the case, then Luke just kind of skips over that. He skips what we're going to see in Matthew, just, and, and Bible writers do that. Sometimes you wish I would do that in a, in, in a sermon. Just, just skip the details and get to the final point. Uh, so Luke may have done that. Or this could mean that they actually went, they were in, in Nazareth when Jesus was, when, um, when uh, uh, Herod was looking for them in Bethlehem. You can decide that one. <laughs> but let's look real quickly at, at Matthew chapter 2. In 13 and 14. When they had departed, the the shepherds, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Or or no, after the wise men came. Remember, they brought the gifts. They departed. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt. Stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So here's another message from an angel. He arose and took the young child, his mother, by night and departed for Egypt. The passage before us in, in the verses before describes the horrible pass, uh, 
situation, the, the just terrible tragedy when Herod, in seeking to destroy Jesus, just tells his soldiers, since we don't know who he is, kill every child in Bethlehem to and under. First of all, I should say that, that, that Bethlehem's a small town. It would be surprising if that would have been more than 50 people, 50 children. But that's 50 children, brutally murdered. Um, could such a thing happen? It perfectly is consistent with Herod's character. He, he had his, anyone that was a threat to him, he thought was a threat to his throne, he had him killed. He had his own wife killed, uh, her grandfather, her mother, his brother-in-law, three of his sons, and several others. In fact, when he was getting, uh, approaching death himself, he realized when he died, no one's going to cry. And he said, that's not appropriate. And so he ordered the rounding up of the, the leading citizens of Jerusalem to be held captive until the moment he died. And then the moment he died, they were to be executed. And that way, there would be tears in Jerusalem when Herod died. Fortunately, when he died, they just released the captives and said, we're not, we're not doing that. But, but that shows you what Herod was like. Would he order the slaughter of 50 children or all the, every two-year-old and under in Bethlehem? If it, it meant protecting his throne, yes. But, and by the way, do you see the futility of man? Do you really think you can stop God's program for the Messiah? Do you really think you can do that? Well, he couldn't, but he would try. And then we're told after the wise men left, uh, Joseph was told to, um, to go, take the child and go to Egypt. He rose, took the young child with his mother by night, departed, and kept him in Egypt. By the way, as you read through this text, and does it strike you as interesting? His name's Joseph. And he keeps having dreams. And he's going to preserve the Messiah in Egypt. Does that remind you of another story? The one difference is this kid's cloak, well, maybe he got a, a cloak of many colors from one of the Magi. But, but I think we're supposed to remember Joseph, dreams, Egypt, God sovereignly preserving his people. Why did he flee to Egypt? Uh, the, the, we can also point out that, one, it was close. It was out of Herod's jurisdiction. And there was a strong Jewish presence in Egypt at the time. But why did he go to Egypt? The angel told him to go to Egypt. And Joseph was a man of faith, and faith obeys the Lord. Verse 19 uh, and through 23 tells more of the story. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he rose, took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee and came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So again, Joseph has another angelic encounter. And this time saying, 
um, Herod's dead. You can go back. And so he decided he would go back to Bethlehem. Now, again, either that's because he had been in Bethlehem and was returning, or he thought, let's go back to Bethlehem. You know, the folks of Nazareth keep talking about how things got started, and Bethlehem seemed like a nice place. I think I could start a good business there. Let's go to Bethlehem. But then he heard Archelaus, one of the sons of Herod, and he was, he was a wretch too, and he thought, well, that would be dangerous. Let's not go there. And so, again, an angel comes and tells him, so this is his fourth visitation, go to Galilee, go to Nazareth. And so he does. He goes to Nazareth. And there he raises his child. We're not told much about his childhood. We're told that every Passover he came to Jerusalem. He was trained by his father. And we can assume a lot of things just from standard behavior. But things grow quiet. Let me just stop then and look back and think, what can we see in Joseph as we think of him at Christmas? Again, Joseph is a man of faith. He's a just man. That means he is justified. He, and we're justified by grace, you say, through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Or Genesis 15, 6. Abraham was justified because he believed God. Joseph was a believer. And as a believer, he obeyed God's word. That's synonymous. And again, his, his obedience is immediate and complete. When God says, get up and go, he gets up and go. Take her to yourself. Get out of town. Don't go to Nazareth. Don't go to Bethlehem. He obeys. Joseph is a man of sacrificial love. Mary who was showing, was already coming under the gossip and slander of a brutal heart. And by marrying her, Joseph was going to take that on himself. Joseph was a man of courage and sacrificial love. He was willing to set aside his reputation in obedience to the Lord and out of love for Mary and, and, and Jesus. He was willing to set aside, and, and in that way, he's a picture of Jesus who set aside his reputation for us. So Joseph would set aside self-interest so that he could lead and protect his family. God says, get up and move. He went up and moved. Go to Egypt. Go back to Israel. Go to Nazareth. In every case, he did it. He led his family by God's will and word. Sometimes when we think of someone who's godly and obedient, that seems kind of stiff and formal, like a Pharisee. But we're also told that when, when the angels spoke, he and Mary both were in awe. When, when, um, when Simeon spoke, they were, he was just in wonder. What it must have been for Josh, Joseph to be there uh, in the temple worshiping, hearing a prophecy over this child and think, angels, now a prophet, here in the temple, here's your Messiah. His heart was filled with wonder. And that to me is what I, what I want for us during the Christmas season. We should always have a heart of wonder. But again, to be in, in wonder at what God did when he sent his son into the world. 
He was a man of responsibility. His job was to protect, nurture, guide, and train the Messiah. How often did he and Mary lie in, in bed at night and just look at and just talk into the darkness? How are we supposed to do this? How, how do you raise the Messiah? Trusting the Lord, giving your ways to him. But he took on that responsibility. Again, Joseph reminds me, Joseph reminds me of Joseph, the Egyptian Joseph. Dreams were a vital part of how God used him. He was separated from family and friends for a while, isolated in a foreign culture when he sojourned in Egypt. He was there. Remember, he told his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. This, is, this has been, and I am to protect God's people. That's why I'm here. And God took Joseph and his family down to protect the Messiah who would save the world. So at Christmas, as we think about Joseph, he's a model of a faithful follower, guided by God's word, sets aside his own interest to see God's will accomplished in his family, loving and caring for his wife and children, leading his family and taking responsibility for their care. Joseph, we are not told, ever walked on water. We are not told that he ever spoke a word of prophecy. We are not told that he completed one miracle. I was in a church one time and they said the, the story is that Jesus and his father were here and one time the, they cut the, uh, the bean um, too short. Not a problem if the son of God is your, is your apprentice. He just stretched the bean to the right size. Didn't work that way. And so here's a word of encouragement. A great hero of the faith was a humble carpenter. He had to offer the poor man's offering. It reminds me of how we approached uh, taking our family out to eat. You can have anything you want from the, from the dollar menu. <laughs> and not more than two. <laughs> and they, they, they offered the dollar menu offering. And yet he's a hero of the faith. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to have a whole host of letters after your name and degrees. You don't have to be the CEO of some great corporation. Much more valuable than any of that is to be found faithful. And that was Joseph. He loved and obeyed God and his word. And he's in the hall of fame as a faithful follower and a faithful steward of God's treasures. How did it all start for Joseph? He trusted in Jesus Christ. As a, he trusted in God as his Savior and went to him for forgiveness of sin and life. Again, at Christmas, it's a time of gifts. Let me say I'm offering you a free gift today. If you have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I offer you the gift of eternal life and a home in glory. If you have yet to believe in Jesus Christ and gone to him for the forgiveness of your sins, I urge you to do that. If you need help understanding it, we're here to help.
If you know Christ as Savior, take courage. God delights in using the humble for his glory. That means we qualify. May we be found faithful. Father, we thank you for this example. Thank you for raising up this this dear couple who are our heroes because in their humility they were available. Father, may we in the same way offer our humble selves for your glory. Use us, Father, as you see fit. We pray it in Jesus' name.